Hey there, welcome to the What Connects Us podcast where we explore human connection with people in the province. Today we're sitting down with Alexis Losey to discuss the game-changing service that a death doula provided her and her family during her brother's end-of-life care. Join us, let's get started. All right, we're past the midway point of season three, and we've officially hit the 18th episode of the podcast. Since we launched last October, we've talked to 17 people from Saskatchewan and have explored sensitive, relatable, insightful, and incredibly interesting stories of heartbreak, triumph, risk, and everything in between. These stories have broken down misconceptions, discussed worries about money, and have given us the ability to walk in the shoes of people who have gone gone through unimaginable experiences that we may go through ourselves one day. Today's episode is no different. Alexis Losey is joining us today to talk about a very tough time for her and her family while shedding a light on a service that a lot of people aren't familiar with. This past year, not only was Alexis dealing with a global pandemic, but she was navigating a very private struggle in her family as her brother approached a situation that a lot of people with loved ones with addiction issues fear. As her brother Dennis's body began to shut down, Alexis and her family felt hopeless in a caregiving role with no idea what to do or who to turn to next. Alexis is going to tell us how a death doula was a ray of light during a very dark time, how they were able to confirm their suspicions that Dennis's health issues would become fatal, and how priceless their services were as they moved through Dennis's end-of-life care. Before we jump in, I just want to provide a trigger warning for this episode because we will be talking about the death of a loved one. This is still a very recent chapter for Alexis, who is emotional at times during the episode, but she's so strong and very passionate about spreading the word about how impactful and financially accessible death doulas are for anyone who would like to utilize this service that is unknown to a lot of people, including myself before this interview. If you know Alexis, you know that she always lights up a room with her energy, her courage, her likability, and her genuine compassion for people. This is on full display during this conversation, and her story is as educational as it is powerful. So let's get into it. What connects us to Alexis? Oh, I like the sounds of that. Let's find out. Alexis Losey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mason. I'm super pumped to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here. This is the first time, I think, in a while where you and I have been able to have a conversation while not screaming like at the top of our lungs because it's typically at the Fat Badger while you're DJing. And I mean, when you were game day host, I did a lot of yelling and waving and <laughs> yeah. you, you never responded up back. to the nosebleeds. <laughs> Can you imagine? All right, Ryder fans. Wait, Alexis, that's yeah. my friend. Um, are you happy with the microphone? I know it's not a light up microphone. I know. I mean, I, I, sometimes you have to give up your glam squad, yeah. you know. <laughs> It's black, though, which is my favorite color. Oh, good. For some background for everybody listening, Alexis and I both have light-up microphones. Both Was yours a gift, or did you buy your own? Oh, no, I personally purchased (laughs) for myself. Just for, like, karaoke? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I kept it in my purse for a long time, just to be annoying. Just to be, just like, Moment says, I wish we had a karaoke microphone. You're like, I got it. You need an echo effect? Well, here, (laughs) check this out. Oh, that's so good. So I'm so excited to have this this conversation. Not a lot of people even know about what a death doula is. And you are also somebody, when you speak, you're so wise. And this is going to be such a great conversation. But before we do, let's just jump in with a really quick introduction. Tell me, who is Alexis Losey? Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. 
Well, my name is Alexis Losey. I'm born and raised in Regina, Treaty 4 territory. I spend my days proudly at the YWCA Regina, surrounded by um, an amazing group of people. I am an aunt for three amazing nephews, um, a happy family member in my uh, small family right now. And uh, we got a dog, so I own a dog. When did you get a dog? Um, In May of 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's my favorite. A pandemic puppy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. And um, I recently, with the dog, uh, started walking, which I thought was the worst exercise in the world. Yeah. And someone reminded me, they're like, see, remember when you hated walking? I'm like, I still kind of do. Right. Especially in like winter time in minus 40. No, I was okay with that. Really? Yesterday I was out for a walk for an hour with the dog and it was like both of us went, went home pretty gross. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like I find the one thing getting in my way of getting a dog is me picturing minus 45 weather. It is 6 a.m. in my bed. It's dark outside. The last thing I want to do is get out and get all bundled up and go for a walk. I ended up buying all the winter equipment anyone ever needs <laughs> because my nephews started playing RMF football. Oh, okay. And I refused to miss a game due to weather. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's commitment right oh, there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but never interested in kids yeah. of my own, but auntie all the way. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Give me some background on your career trajectory because what I first met you was through the OWL, like mm-hmm. the campus, the uh, restaurant and bar. Yeah. And... You were just the coolest person in my eyes. You were so laid back. Mason. What? <laughs> thank you. I, I've never been the coolest person in in the in anyone's eyes. So thank you. You're for that. A, you were tatted up. You had great glasses. <laughs> like you were. You just seemed like like a really cool person. And you were so nice to everybody. No, no, no. <laughs> I will be honest. Is I the last couple of years there were a struggle. I was really burnt out. It was difficult. Uh, like business was down and things were difficult and I I look back and like you want to talk burnout in an industry I think I was three years late by the time I was like oh yeah I can't do this and then I I moved over into the support service work and social justice through the initially the YM and then into the YW Mm -hmm. and um, as the child of two social workers yeah uh, it felt comfortable but so much to learn so much to learn um, and that's the part that I really like. Being bored anywhere is never a good thing for me. That's when I get myself right. into trouble and, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> totally. So. so let's jump into it. So this story surrounds your relationship with your brother, Dennis, and your experience through end-of-life care. So let's begin with background on your relationship. Tell me about growing up with Dennis and your relationship with your brother leading up to 2020. Sure. Um, my brother, the eldest in our family, it's him and my sister and I. He was um, distant at times, protective at times, and and almost certainly all the time kind of a pain in our butt okay. as far as like that very stereotypical older brother, I'm going to tease my sisters. And he was the absolute master of getting under our skin. Right. Um, he was uh, super convincing. I had more Transformer toys than most girls my age, <laughs> which I loved. And thought was normal, but it was because Dennis would convince us, like, hey, let's all put our money together and buy right. these. Or so, Christmas, that, that would, he influenced yep. your Christmas list. Absolutely. Um, and then there were these uh, big acts of kindness that it wasn't about the size of the gift. It was that he had put some time and effort into it. He was very thoughtful in that way, wanting to to find out what would be special to you. Right. You know, surprising my sister and I with some handmade shirts he had done mm. and stuff like that. Um 
he and I were were siblings, pretty normal siblings, and we got closer as we were older, and that was because he had children, and I love his children, mm-hmm. and so any opportunity I could have to be with them. Um, so as adults, I was invited on some of the family camping trips and whatnot, and so that's where we would, you know, you can't not connect when those kids are there and you have a built-in babysitter if you need. Right. So. Yeah, that's awesome. You're clearly committed to them if you are putting on snowshoes <laughs> and Canada winter goose jackets yeah. to go watch them play football. Yeah. Um, so we've chatted about how we don't want to spend too much time discussing the circumstances that led to Dennis arriving at end-of-life care in his mid-40s, but can you give me the important high-level context so we can best understand, empathize, and learn from the situation? Yeah. Um, I would say probably five years ago, our family noticed um, a change in Dennis's behavior and um, would witness some heavy drinking behavior, some emotional behavior, and reactions that were unfamiliar to us Mm. and um, it was probably four years ago that I had the first conversation where we said I think that there might be a serious uh, dependency issue here Mm -hmm. and as it turned out there was um, a very serious high functioning alcohol addiction that Mm. was going on and it just uh, got unbelievably uh, difficult challenging and uh, risky right. in in the three years leading up to his death. Right. How does that make you feel as a sister to say, oh, I think my, my brother might be in trouble with some dependency issues? It is no different than um, when we were young, uh, we broke a vent, a wooden vent on my parents' hardwood. Right. And it was a wooden vent, and, and we, we were messing around, and I think I was the one that broke it. Mm-hmm. And he helped me fix it because you want to alleviate that that stress for a sibling. You want to help fix things. And you want them not to be in trouble. Right. And so for me, that epiphany was I didn't want Dennis to be in trouble. Oh. I didn't want Dennis to be hurting. And I didn't want him to be scared. So that was really difficult. And also, like, turning to someone that you care about. It wasn't Dennis who I first said it to, but I said... Um, I think Dennis is an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Having that conversation with my mom was a really hard one. Right. Um, where we have to start seeing it what for what it was for. Right. Um, not making excuses mm-hmm. on his behalf and then calling him to task and into those hard conversations as well. It was it was awful. Right. It was um my father died ten years ago and um that was really difficult. But what's I will say is that this has been enormously and considerably more difficult the the time leading up to when Dennis died. Right. Are you okay? Yes. Okay. Right yeah. Okay. Um, I will tell everyone this is crying comes with this and yeah. don't like if I cry in public, I'd rather be authentic and ha- show my tears than pretend that this isn't hard right. or uncomfortable. Totally. So, and I appreciate your vulnerability. Yeah. Paint me a picture of the length of time and how how time intensive it was attending to or taking care of Dennis during this. The last year of his life, it was it was very intensive. So um, he moved into his own place in November of 2019, and um, leading up to that, we had been very involved trying to support, and then um, from there, it became 
very labor intensive because you're trying to support, you're trying to respond. And and as as beginners to this, we were trying to um, really coerce and force like yeah. recovery, 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 rehab. Right. Um, and still questioning that, am I the only one seeing these issues? But Totally. Yeah. What I don't think people realize about being a caregiver is outside of the time cost or financial well-being can also take a beating as well. Was this true for your situation as well? Yeah, I would say it was one of the unexpected things because when it comes to addiction, everyone talks about like, don't give an addict money, don't buy them what mm. they need as far as like fueling their addiction. Yeah, it, Everyone tells you that, but there's the codependency linked to addictions is so enormous that my response um, is... If I can get into your door to see you, yeah. I'm going to buy you whatever you want for food. Right. You want 45 Gatorades? Here we go. Right. Um, so not only did it have an impact on like just responding with purchasing of items that I thought would bring comfort or like, well, at least it's it's Gatorade. It's I'll, I'll buy all the Gatorade. Right. But it's also the impact of um, of, of missed work. Right needing to leave work early, needing, I had a very expensive gym membership and there were months I didn't go at lunch because I was tending or waiting to respond to crisis. Right. So it's, it's very different things as, as a caregiver, you respond and it's, if that call comes, my codependency, my first thing was drop everything and get there because this is when you could save him. So when did you know it was time to call in the death doula and what steps had you taken prior to that is probably a really good question i will tell you that we were in and out of hospital we um 911 uh packed coast mental health we tried everything we went through every route we could i was Half an hour before I was supposed to DJ at the Badger one night, I was on with the rehab center mm. in Moose Jaw begging, begging, like saying, how could I navigate getting, if I can drive him to Moose Jaw tomorrow, could you get him in? Right. You know, it. so we had tried everything and, and it's true for, for anyone who might have to, um, you know, navigate this path. It's the choice of the person. There's no coercion. How frustrating There's is no that? convincing and there's no forcing. Um, and so when we had done everything we could except continue to support with love, um, that was ultimately, we, we asked ourselves on a regular basis, regardless of the outcome, will we be able to answer, we did everything we could and from a place of love and respect. That was all our goal was. Right. Our wish was total recovery and a long life. Right. The reality was is that we had to, to switch and... When we realized that we were not going to be able to um, to force into any kind of recovery situation, and, and believe me, we tried. Yeah. It's not just my family. There are friends and others who did as well, but it was a Monday night, and I'm going to get real specific only because I looked at it for this, but it was August 24th of last year, and uh, he had called me to uh, ask me, to come to his house and do something for him. And so, of course, I drop everything and I go. And um, it was the first time that I had been able to see him with the lights on. And mm. and it was at that moment I realized that the situation was, was as 
as terrifying as I, I felt it was. Right. And so I went um, home. I called my mom and I said, you need to come over. And we made nine phone calls that night. And every person's instruction was call 911, have an ambulance, take him to the hospital. And I, I've been there. I've done that. We knew what was going to happen. And, and, and this is the other thing we were told that night. He's making a choice to live at risk. And right. you can't, you know, you yeah. can't. And I, I said, he's going to die. I am going to find him dead. And that was difficult. But we were just done. Yeah. Just done because we knew an ambulance wasn't the answer. Right. Um, it's very difficult to say this, but what I needed ultimately was for someone to be able to come into his home and confirm our worst fear that he was, in fact, um, about to die. Right. And um, I am incredibly lucky and um, know someone who has done work as a death doula. Right. And I said to my mom, I have one last option. I have one last resort, one last hope. And I made the call and the answer was yes. I gave um, some information and the response was, I am 100% in. Um, I will be there tomorrow. And that's how it started. Wow. So it's almost like your one last Hail Mary. That's a, a Hail Mary pass. Yes. My brother was a avid football player, right. coach and all that. So sports references are something that come up often. And it was it was the right. Hail Mary move for me. So you were just begging for somebody to to hear you in a way other than like following the checklist. And yep. this is this is the map. This is where you go. You want somebody to be like, I hear you. I am yeah. coming. I am going to work with you to figure out what's going on here. Yeah, and ultimately, like at, at the most, I we needed someone who would be able to come to our house or to to his house and and tell us that in fact, when I say, I think he's dying like right now. Yeah, I needed someone to say, sadly and truthfully and honestly, as much as it hurts, you are correct. Totally, you needed somebody to. We've talked about this before. As optimistic people, you need somebody to confirm that there is no hope so that you can focus on the reality of the situation. Yeah, and and like I've mentioned to you, it was I needed to someone someone to direct me mm-hmm. that we were going to be moving from a recovery mission into an end strategy. Right. I needed someone to say we're shifting gears. Right. So let's let's pause real quickly and and define what a death duel is because I think it's something that not a lot of people even heard of when you talked yeah. to me about it I was like is, I, I know of a birth doula I don't know what a death yeah. doula is so for anyone unaware tell me what a death doula is and just a general overview of what they do mm-hmm. so you're very right a birth doula we know and and we're mostly familiar with they are the advocates the voices and the um, coaches for that entry into the world right um, they represent the family the mother the father the the mother and mother, they, they represent that family unit, however it looks. And they're the voice. They, they coach you, they help you make a plan. They help you make decisions and they keep you informed. Um, the death doula is the same thing and it is an end of life. The, the exit from the world where they do that. So, um, it can be in the hospital. It can be at home. It, can it can look a lot of different ways it can be something that is a year in the making it can be we just realized this we need help um it's a support an advocate and it is um, an educated person to help you 
um, make a plan, but also for us, it was about respecting the wishes of what my brother would have wanted. Right. Um, because we didn't know how to make that happen. Right. And these are like nurses and doctors. Yeah. Ours were, we had two doulas. So we had Jan Seibart, who is a nurse and we had Dr. Joanne McLeod mm. and both of them have, um, an incredible and vast amount of experience coaching and navigating folks through end of life. Mm-hmm. And, and as well, I th- think both of them would acknowledge that they have from a personal level as well. Right. Is this new? I feel like I've never heard of a death doula before, it's, but it makes sense. Yeah, it <laughs> it makes all the sense. Yeah. I don't know if it's new. They have existed for some time, but I even remember, you know, seven years ago thinking, birth doula? Yeah. What's that? Even the concept of a midwife? You yeah. know, I was like, holy cow. As a family, we had not said, you know, it'd be great, but it, we were so desperate to be heard, to be seen, mm-hmm. and to be supported mm-hmm. and guided and validated validated there there's not been a more desperate moment for us than when we made that call what were the roles are they do they handle both things in tandem or are there times to utilize one or the other they they worked um jointly on it our initial um contact was with jan and mm-hmm. she was the uh the doula that met us the first night right and then asked us if we were comfortable to bring in Dr. Joanne McLeod as well, because they've done um, quite a bit of work together. And she said, I feel like this is a situation where we would really benefit from Joanne also being involved. It's almost like when your realtor says, we need to get a mortgage, but I know a mortgage broker that is awesome. And he's going to help you out. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I will take anyone you refer. Exactly. Yeah. Like I trust you. Mm-hmm. So when when we were when we were talking about the interview, you said that the call to the doula was the first time in a long time that your mom had felt seen and heard as a human and as a mother. Yeah. Which is so heartbreaking. But tell me why. I think when it comes to addiction, um, the the folks who deal with the families and the people who are living with the addiction, they're so accustomed to that codependent behavior yeah. and and, and overbearing families because all they want to do is help and and medical teams know this was the first time that someone said what do you want to do what are the questions you want to ask us what's your hope what's your goal and so my mom it was just after eight or nine phone calls that night and to hear someone say yeah I am going to meet you in this situation and you want to talk vulnerability to say to someone I'm going to invite you into into our, our world of, I'll, I'll say nightmare, yeah. tumultuous situation, but also to to break that trust with my brother yeah. to call someone in um, without discussing it with him. We had to make that call and, and it had to be someone we trusted. So it feels unnatural to transition from a curative or recovery mission, as you called it, to one that is more palliative or end of life. What was that like? for you to make that transition? There was a a lot of comfort in it um, because to have an answer, Mm -hmm. you hear medically people who struggle with health, I just want to know what's wrong. Totally. And so for us, on on the Tuesday when Jan came, she said, yeah, what you have have told me, you weren't exaggerating. Yeah. You, You were not overreacting. It's as dire as you told me. It's really difficult to tell what the timeline is at this point 
but there isn't treatment to turn this around. Mm. At this point, it was too far gone. So to go into that, I think as a family alone would have been terrifying, but we all of a sudden had a tour guide that was was giving us the roadmap right. and telling us if you take this route, these are, are, are some of the barricades and, and, and roadblocks you might face. If you go this way, you might get there faster, but then this comes up. And it was just being presented options versus what we had gone over and over time and again, time and again. Yeah, It was um, comforting to know that we were going to be able to make that switch right. with the support they were going to provide. I totally understand when it comes to being a caregiver and when you are so worried that there is something you are missing or you have trust for the healthcare professionals that are helping, but you feel like, what aren't they telling me? Yeah. Like, I just want to be protected. I just want to know what's going on so I can wrap my mind around it. I, I totally empathize with how them giving you news that in your gut you knew was coming would flick that switch of, okay, I, I'm prepared for this and I'm here with you. Can Let's tackle this together. Yeah, absolutely. It No one ever wants to hear those words like, yes, this person is dying. But for me and my family, it, it hit like a ton of bricks we knew were coming. Yeah. But it also allowed us to, like we've said, switch into that different role. Rather than it happening tomorrow and you missing the opportunity to, yeah. to lead him out in a way that's graceful. Yeah, my mom has... Um, credited uh, Dr. McLeod and Jan for um, giving her access to my brother mm. for the last 10 days of his life. Otherwise, we had not seen seen him in his authentic self right. for far too long. And um, without this support with the doulas, we likely would have um, walked into a very difficult situation with a lot of questions that would have would have left so much pain and trauma if you were to walk into that so much and we had been i mean 911 asked us a number of times are you prepared to go into the house in case you know and and with us this situation was um peaceful comforting and there was beauty to it because of of the dignity we were able to do everything Everything had had his best interest in mind at right. that point. So the doulas agree to help. They're they're like, yes. let's do this. Yeah. What, what's step one look like? Where do you even begin? Step one was a family meeting with the doula and the doctor after they had been introduced to Dennis. Mm-hmm. Um, we then went back to um, me and my sister's house and had a meeting to uh, kind of develop the framework of what our hope was. Right and um, our wishes and and what we needed to to do because when this happens there are almost immediate things that you have to quickly do right. i would have had no clue i would have been so lost and then totally. these doulas started saying okay we need to look for um does he have a do not resuscitate what does his living will say who is the voice on this who medically is going to be making these decisions right. we had to turn that around really quickly and get that without any of that, we would have been struggling more. But really? the doulas kind of gave us our our to do list and said these are the administrative things we have to make happen now, mm-hmm. and then we're going to start putting some pieces in place around the support. And it was for everything from right now he should be okay with um, 
someone there throughout the day mm-hmm. to we're going to let you know like medically when you have to be there we had my mom had made the choice that we would be there and Dennis was he said to us all I want is you guys here oh just yeah I want you here 24 hours which was an incredible thing to hear from someone who had created um some big walls to hide had shut you the out shame. For years. oh yeah had shut us out to to have him uh sober and and genuinely him to say all I want is you here oh the doulas, honestly, if, if we had not had them, that would have never happened. Totally. So how did the doulas work with the medical system and Dennis's doctors? How did you navigate that? Well, this was the really challenging thing is that Dennis's um, interaction and relationship with the family doctor, it was, I mean, we didn't even know who his doctor was at that point. Oh, there really? wasn't a lot on file. Again, without having the doula there to give us that medical support, um, we would have been really struggling. And so after we did the administrative stuff and developed the framework, we had to start looking in terms of time and what we would need to respond in a medical fashion. Right. And so that's where Jan and Dr. McLeod would say, this is what probably is going to be happening in the next three days. But what happened is that when someone is terminal and in, in, in a palliative state, um, we needed to make arrangements that palliative home care would understand that this was a real case. And we needed to have um, authorization from Dennis to engage and begin that palliative home care process. So does that mean like acknowledge, Mm -hmm. acknowledging, yes, I am dying? Yeah. And at that point there was, um, I remember them saying I had made the call and they said, has that difficult conversation? Like, is, is he aware? And I called Dr. <laughs> Joanne and said, how do, how do I do this? What's, how do I do this? And she said, I'm going to meet you there. And that's the doula um, support. Yeah. This is the background. This is the, the training that they have. And so that conversation, which I was honestly driving over there, preparing to do on my own so that we could get to the next step. Um, Joanne was there. And that's how that happened. Yeah. Um, it came from her and then we proceeded and, um, Dennis had said, you know, I, I want a couple of days to think about this. Yeah. And then it was just a very quiet conversation with him and I, um, and he said, they told me without pressuring, we yeah. need to get him to agree the minute we have authorization to set up home care for palliative things get a lot smoother for us and we can start doing everything we need to prepare. Right. Uh, Dennis looked at me and he said, so they want me to, uh, to give them an answer. And I said, yep. I said on your time. And he said, what would you do? And I said, I would, uh, I would say yes. I said, I've thought a lot about this and peace, comfort. And I keep going back to dignity. Right. That is important to me. And so he said, um, please make the call. And so I called the doulas and said, I have been given um, authorization. And then from there, um, we got everything set up. And so then that's when home care comes in and you get trained um, on what your role is going to be as that primary caregiver and that 24-hour support that's going to be there. So what do you have to do? (laughs) Um, You learn a lot quickly. We were providing support through, um, there was an IV 
site. It's not an IV site, but it's a you use a syringe to help with the medical support okay. and the medication support at that point. So you learn that. They start making a plan. They start, um, the doulas sat us down again and said, okay, this is what stage we're at. Um, and then they start saying, these are some of the things that you can expect. Yeah. These are the questions you're going to want to ask and you're going to want to let home care in, get mm. things set up. And, and that's where the doulas came in at all. You know, they said, you're going to want this and this and this. Get all of that ready. It would be like if you're preparing for a home birth. Right. You don't just, the day arrives and, and boil the water and <laughs> grab some towels. Like, Ouch. you know. Yeah. But they had said, these are some of the things in the next few days you're going to want to have on hand. And we did that. And we got set up. We would have had no idea. What a where gift. To start. Mm-hmm. And then palliative came the home care came in and worked with us and the doulas did daily check-ins. They would call throughout the day. Um, I mean, it was everything from even just bringing a meal one day. Like, right. have you, have any of you eaten? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Like someone so, to take care of you while yeah. you're going through that. Yeah. Oh. So what other key stages did, did the doulas help you in this process? Um, one of the, the very important points of this is they recognize some of the key indicators that time is running out there was okay you guys are going to want to get some sleep now um these are the things you're going to watch for um down to today is the day where um if there's someone we need to have come in for some closure for some love for anything like that let's start making that list um and then really just like uh, preparing you for some of what the physical side is going to be. Right. So it gives you that reassurance that, oh, this might just be a bad day, but tomorrow he might be better. It just gives you that this is expected yep. and this is why we're going to proceed with this. Yeah. Yeah. Because you do have that hope. Like I remember even, you know, 24 hours before he died thinking, hmm, I wonder if there's anything else. And and I, I actually called Dr. Joanne and I said, listen, I need you to tell me that there's nothing we can do. Right. I need you to tell me that. And she said, what is being done is the course of action and the response that is necessary. Right. There is n- there's no miracle at this point. And that's heartbreaking. But for somebody who is so optimistic, like yourself, that's like me when, when dad was, was on his uh, final stages as well. You always reserve that part of yourself for the miracle, and it's exhausting. Oh, yeah. The shift from hope to acceptance is, <laughs> in COVID, re- like for COVID terms, like taking your mask off at the end of the day, just like there's all of a sudden some breath Yeah. that becomes easier. Yeah. That, that hope keeps you tight. Thoughts. Sometimes it takes up space for that reality could be. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So... What was it like to shift from the person calling the shots, almost like a head coach, to someone taking direction and executing the plays like a quarterback? What did what did this do for you emotionally? By having the doulas come in, and, yeah. Um, you know, it it took the responsibility from the moment we called them. Um, I felt like the weight of those incredibly massive decisions. And that responsibility. Um, oh. Do you know what it did? It allowed me to be present. Um, I, I always talk about a, f- a person who videos 
the entire concert on their iPhone. Right. Um, and, and you go through these wonderful experiences in life and you watch it from behind your phone because you want a picture or an awesome video. Yeah. And I have started thinking more and more about, I just want to be there and watch it. Right. If I miss out on a picture or something, and, and that's what this did, it, it removed that massive amount of stress from on our family yeah. to you're just going to help us um, put these plays into action now. Here's your playbook. You don't have to come up with the plays. Um, we're just going to have you give you the direction. So it allowed us there to be there to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched a movie. I'll never, um, there's a lot of music I'll never want to hear again. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, it was so absurdly normal. Right. Um, and I think that that's how people create that distance. If I'm there in that decision-making role, yeah. I'm not going to be engaged emotionally and allow myself to feel what this really is. And that's what it was. It sounds like I'm really pitching that as a great experience, but yeah, I, my mom and sister and I, and, and I'm being very conscious of not saying names of who else was with us in this space. Right. Um, just out of, I want to be very respectful, but um, to be able to be there for one of the most important moments of someone's life, it's, those farewells are huge and we were so lucky. And present. Yeah. And if I had been worried about the operational side of those things. Exactly. Yeah. It's so easy to make that your focus. I think that is the gift of a doula, right? They are taking all of the hard lifting, the grunt work. It's kind of like a wedding planner. Yes. Where they are the ones fighting with the caterer. I know. They are the ones being like, where is the DJ? He's supposed to be here. So you can sit at your table and enjoy your meal and take time with your guests. Yeah. That's that's so it. My mom and sister and I had a meal with my brother on the Wednesday before he died. I mean, he, he had very little to eat, but I said like, we just had a normal supper right? in the most abnormal situation. But the fact we were able to do that without doula support and allowing us to be able to make this work at home, mm-hmm. there would have been nothing normal for us to hold on to. Does this give you closure that you wouldn't have had? Oh, the other scenarios? We're at a hospital where he had gone. We knew it would have been really upsetting for him. And um, there was um, hesitancy and, and discomfort in that space. Right. We wanted peace and comfort. And, and that's what we were able to do. But the other scenario is to, um, we know that this happens, that families find, find loved ones. Right. We have no questions. We have no what ifs anymore. You know, was was there pain? Was there fear? We have those answers, and that is um, the greatest gift. Like, y- you can bet that a doula is my plan. Yeah. I am going to put that in place for my family because I know how much it helped my mom and sister and I, as well as the, the other group. Um, so when I talk about this extended group, there's his children and some some additional family and a group of his best friends that I've never known life without them there. Right. Um, I know Super Tech Mobile. 
uh, far too <laughs> like well. That's the Nintendo game. Yes. Oh, awesome. Because it's a just a group of guys. They've been a part of my brother's life since the day I can remember. Right. They're in our family photo albums, and so they were part of this too. I, I remember one of his uh, dearest friends just like looked at me and. <laughs> What's a doula? Yes. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're, Dennis and I are very different in a lot of ways. And I know his friend was just thinking, what has she done? Like, what is she doing? But right. in the end, it, um, we had all the peace and we were able to make those decisions. Well, we're so used to one process, right? Like it's in the movies. It's it's like if you, same with birthing, it's like you go to the hospital, someone delivers yep. you that way. And if somebody takes an alternative route, people wonder like, what is this hippie stuff going on here? So yep. I can understand why he would, what's a doula? You're that, supposed was, to- that was the biggest thing that I felt is that people were like, what is this weird thing that you are again introducing? Yeah. And, and by the end, like, even today in a conversation with someone um, involved in this kind of process with us, they said, I remember just like thinking, what have you done to thank God you did it? Totally. And and again, back to my point is that we know death is, is due for all of us. Right. Um, the planning you can do um, to make it easier on your family. People are, are, are hopping into action on that. Yeah. But there's other things that you can do to have your wishes respected. But when I look at that, I think about like my wishes I want followed and how I would like it done. But I also, what can I do to continue to support my family as they support me through this? What can I put into play? And so for me, it's we've had a conversation and friends and I, the doula is something that we want to engage or or say that that would be our plan. Mm -hmm. So that when the time comes, you understand what steps need to be taken to engage that. And it's uncomfortable, but the more you talk about it, the more death feels normal. That's how you kind of normalize it. So it's important to get your will in place to even down to the, I don't want egg salad sandwich at my, at my funeral, having those conversations, like having a playbook for, for your funeral is totally okay to have conversations about. And for you to say as part of my estate, if there's, if there's anything that I can do, you know, there is this. And here's my will. Here's my living will. And uh, make those plans. You right. know, down to the, I have a friend who it's sweet pickles. Right. Not allowed. Not allowed at her service. Yeah, like, hear me now. I don't want egg salad sandwiches at my funeral. Anybody listening, if if you see them <laughs> on a plate at my funeral, flip the flip the plate. It does not need well, to be there. Flip the table. Flip the table. Flip the table. Cancel the damn event. <laughs> okay, let's take a quick break. Alexis and I are discussing normalizing having uncomfortable conversations about our wishes prior to and after death. We've chatted about the importance of wills and what you can include in them, but in case you were wondering, well, where do I even get started? We've got you covered here. I reached out to my employee financial advisor, Gail Dagenet, who works out of our Humboldt branch and asked her to further break down why wills are important and how to begin getting one in place. Here's what she had to say. Hey Mason, you're right. It isn't fun to think about, but it is something we need to think about and talk about. When you pass, it is the most difficult time your family is gonna go through. By setting up a will, part of the process is you need to appoint an executor. This will ensure your wishes are carried out as you want them to be, and you need to appoint one in a legal will. While the family is grieving your loss, there's less red tape if you have a will. 
It'll save time and money as well for your loved one. If you are ready to have a conversation, reach out to your financial advisor and work with a lawyer. This is your first step to protecting you and your family. Thanks, Gail. It's not a fun conversation to have, but as Alexis is talking about, wills are a crucial component to your end of life plan and makes things a lot easier on your loved ones during a really heavy time. Alexis is about to take us through her last few days with Dennis, so let's get back to the conversation. Are you okay to talk about um, the last couple of moments with Dennis? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So just over a week after your call with the doula, it became apparent that the moment they were preparing you for was beginning. Take me to saying goodbye to Dennis and how the doulas helped you through this. Yeah. Um, Like I said, on the Wednesday before he died, we'd had supper. And the doulas kept telling us that it hits a point where the person will become unresponsive. But on um, the Thursday leading up to his uh, death, we did notice that he was uh, showing a few more physical uh, symptoms that aligned with those final days. They had said to us, I think it would be a good time for his friends to, to come if there's someone here. And, and essentially what they were doing was gently saying unresponsive is coming pretty quick here. Right. And so we, um, <laughs> all the way to Europe, we arranged a conversation, mm-hmm. some in person and, uh, some over the phone in a group chat as much as we could that happened and those were his uh his best friends for life um had that and that was something that we felt very strongly uh for the the support they had provided and then this is uh he did go into the unresponsive state that night so um the last responsive conversation was an important one for him um, a community that was important to him. Um, and from there, it was uh, very peaceful. We administered, um, there were two medications we would administer as scheduled. And and that's one of the, with a home situation like this, I'll tell you when you're stressed and not sleeping, following a two-hour schedule and my mom and I say, okay, which one is it now? And and. What it, who so we had like this little diary who who did gave the injection yeah. what it was right. what time if anything happened like I yeah. was like it's like a metal doc it, it's the file they have at the end of your bed You're except right. ours was like a piece of loose loose leaf <laughs> on like a DVD like a Hillroy you know? book yeah that's almost I actually it was a completely a three ring Hillroy book was it that's what it was yeah and um it that's where the doulas stepped in again they said like we're going to start adjusting this so that instead of every two hours we're going to let you know when you start doing it every hour Mm. we're going to start letting you we're also going to start letting you know about some of the physical things that are going to be happening here right um and so they it was phone calls like 5 a.m jan would call what's going on should i stop in now should i stop in at lunch uh dr joanne mcleod same thing and so we would just give updates and um uh, palliative came in they would check on him they would give us the update yes and I mean that's where I was saying what are we looking at for timeline yeah. is this happening nope nope you still got a day um the amount of care that these doulas would have oh 5 a.m yep wow yep. the other thing I, I really want to focus on here is that because we were able to remain at home um, and this did take place during COVID none of this normal 
behavior for us. None of this closure in person would have been possible. Oh, totally. Without disruption. Yeah. I, if we were at a hospital, there's someone overhearing. It's, you know, you'll turn the volume down. It's one person in the room due to COVID. I mean, our experience with the doulas helping us to get this set up so it could happen at home. Right changed our experience so much on a normal level but also because of covid yeah so friday involved um some phone calls to people who wanted to maybe have a, a very quiet moment um to speak with him and then there was um uh, someone who had been a mentor for my brother for a long time and and it was the doulas that said here's our recommendation is that these people have supported for a long time and and this closure will be a gift to them if you're willing to do it and that was like for us to hear that, like, mm -hmm, yep, that's great. It's nice that they gave you like best practices yeah. so that you know you're doing the best you can in that moment. Yep. And then <laughs> I, uh, I remember texting Jan and saying, um, she had told me a term that you hear towards the end. And I said, I think I heard what you're talking about. Mm. And uh, I was on the phone with her and she said, yep, yeah, you're hearing right. So here's where we're at. I um we did have to call palliative EMS response in on the Friday night just for a bit of quick support and right. I remember saying to um one of the the supervisor I said I don't she said you have a long night ahead of you um tonight's going to be a long night you guys are are going to need every ounce of gas you got how are you feeling where's your head at and I said do you think we should go to the hospital and she sat me down and I she said the wish was that you stay at home. Mm. We are going, she said, you have my phone number. If anything, if anything scares you, if you need to nap and you're too afraid, you call us. The doula's the same. If you need us here, you call. And the doula's, it was, we need anything. That team was there. Mm. They prepared us for physically what was going to happen. And um, I, I remember that they said, you're going to hear uh, a breath. And... Um, it seems to take a long time before there's nothing coming when it feels like you should have heard another breath time for two minutes time for another one minute and then call the palliative nurse and so because of all of the all of the pre-work we had done um it was on file and on record that dennis was going to die at home and that because we had the doulas there, they had made the arrangements. The palliative nurse was able to call the death um, and declare the death, um, confirm it. So she came once we called. Uh, she helped us with the funeral call arrangement. Because we had done all of that, um, there was no need for police, EMS, or coroner to come, mm. which meant we didn't have to have all that attention outside of the... Lights. Um, yeah, outside of the... Um, house house um because there had been a lot of staring yeah leading up to that and so that was the other amazing thing is that that would have been it would have been all of those it cars it wasn't a spectacle it nope, was peaceful it was it was the nurse came and then the funeral home came and that was it and it was very early in the morning and so we were able to be out of there before papers had been yeah. delivered right right Thank you for sharing that moment. That mm -hmm. is a very vulnerable and a very personal moment for you and your family. And it's very touching. And I'm really happy you get that closure. And it was a process that was peaceful for you and your family. Yeah. 
Oh, it was such a gift. So here is the most shocking part of the story when it comes to death doulas and a question that I'm sure a lot of people have wondered throughout our conversation. How much did it cost to have a death doula? There was no fee for the service. Not a fee. Provided to us, no. It was a service that was provided um, by um, our doulas um, at no cost. And that is, um, I can't comment on every situation with doulas. For us, that was our scenario. And I know that there is a Death Doulas of Saskatchewan website where it lists. And um, I know a number of doulas uh, don't charge for the service because it's such an important service to provide for a family. The other thing is because we weren't in the hospital, there was no cost for parking. Oh, um, I wasn't buying 45 coffees a day and, and 18, you know, sandwiches like to keep you going through. It was, um, we were able to access the grocery store. The, we had the full kitchen at the house. Everything about it by going the route of the doula and the home for us. And I will, full disclosure, my father died 10 years ago and was in the um, surgical intensive care unit for three weeks. And um, I can't begin to to even add up the expense of that parking 24 hours a day for three weeks, Mm -hmm. um, the meals, the coffees. The Robin's Donuts in the the, the general hospital. I know, (laughs) I know. Like you get to a point where it's anything... Um, and you, you buy all these things and, and you rarely eat them because you're feeling sick with exactly, worry. Yeah. Um, uh, it adds up. Oh, it adds up incredibly. And and I am someone who has a vehicle. What about someone who's dependent on public transport oh. or taxi or or any anything? And um, so the financial um, pressure from, from this situation was very difficult very different than you would expect. I'm shocked that it is free. This is a service that if someone were to say this is $10,000, I would say that makes sense. Yep, I'll the, start saving now. <laughs> exactly, like the, the the work they do seems priceless. Oh, it, yep. I can't I'm I'm hmm? dumbfounded that it, it is free. And it's it's hard for me to tell like in our situation it was just under 2 weeks. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to, because I'm, I I was very self-focused and focused on Dennis. I wouldn't be able to tell you what, how many hours they put into this, but I'm going to, there was behind the scenes stuff, um, prescriptions being sent in whatnot so that we would have what we need, the palliative connections that they did. Um, and, and again, I do really want to stress that I can't comment on the cost for every doula. But what I do know is that there are doulas available mm-hmm. that that will take a donation that charge for this very important service and and understandably good. so yes understandably <laughs> yeah. so and then there are some that that say that this is a, a, a talent and a skill set that I'm comfortable providing. I I asked my mom this same question. I said, if this was five thousand dollars, knowing what we've done we would have paid the money. We are lucky to and privileged to be in that situation where we could um, afford to pay for a service where it needed. 
but there are so many people who that would be a barrier to whether they can access it or not. Totally. So that's the, the that amazing thing is that, that if needed, it, it's accessible. They're truly guardian angels that are helping guide yeah. them into a place of peace. Yep. And they're doing some great work that, like I said, in a world where it seems like a price or a cost is attached to all this, I am speechless at the grace it would take for them at 5 a.m., time away from their families, mm -hmm. just to make sure that others are at peace during a very traumatizing time. And the other thing is, is that Dennis was a human being. Yeah. He was a father. He was a brother. He was a son. He wasn't just a project, a patient, um, an addict. Yeah. Um, such kindness was shown. And they didn't know him. And... They treated him like they had grown up raising him. Such kindness and respect. The science and the person. Yes. Yes. Last question for you. I want to give you the opportunity to say something directly to Jan and Joanne. What do you want them to know about the service that they provided you and your family? I, <laughs> we've talked about this as a family. There are genuinely no words that will ever be enough for how grateful we are. You gave us a gift, and um, until my own dying day, I will have so much love for the kindness they showed, for the honesty they had with us. only thing that I would say is that the love I have for them is on a level that I've, I've not experienced because it's so random to meet Dr. Joanne, I met two weeks before he died, and the trust we had in them was because they told us, we're here, use the service, and, and allow us to take some of this weight off of you. Thank you doesn't seem enough. You provided us the greatest gift I've had to date. If it wasn't going to be saving him, this is the, this is the only thing we could have hoped for. Oh, Alexis, that is so powerful, and I have shivers. Oh, your words here will change the trajectory of someone's experience. I hope so. I hope that other people will say it's it's something we at least want to look into. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to say this, Mason. I've as difficult as the conversation is, I yeah. I've had a nice time talking with you, <laughs> um, and being vulnerable with you. Yeah. So. Now on to the fun, fun. The fun, fun. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you saying this. So we are going to ask you some speed run questions to connect with you on a different level. Mm, perfect. First question. You're a DJ. What's your favorite song to play as a DJ to hype up the crowd? To hype up the crowd? Um, I love um, Miley Cyrus, early Miley Cyrus. <laughs> um, and... Um, also, some good Katy Perry. Right. But I also, it's not like a hype up song, but <laughs> I love playing Kelly Clarkson because of you. Because it's such a strange As a anthem. DJ? Yeah, it's such a strange <laughs> anthem for women. Yeah. Um, I remember I played it and someone's like, why would you play this? I'm like, just hold on. Yeah. Women are super into it. And it's like, <laughs> you. I played it one night at the Badger at 1030. And I think anyone walking in would have been like, is this some sort of conference? <laughs> Next question. You are in the top five percentile of people when it comes to what? Um, 
recently diagnosed adult ADHD. <laughs> what? <laughs> I got it bad. Like I just really? feel like just um I, I would say I'm probably in the top fifth percentile of like hyperactive adults, distracted adults. Um, but also as a shout out to myself, like and I said I wasn't gonna swear, but get yeah. shit done. Like if if it's something that just I'm super impassioned about we got to get this done. We have a super short time limit. Like yeah. those are things I love. My my employer will say like, you love to check off boxes if it's a really quick thing. And I do right. I love it. What's so interesting is that Krista Broda was our first guest on the podcast. And she said that during the pandemic, she found out that this is something that she is part of her story as well. And the amount of people that said, me too, I just found this out as well. I knew as a kid, but I just, I didn't have to actually address it. Right. It was manageable, but I found out that this type of grief yeah. just amplifies it. So right. that's when I was like, mm, I think this is worse. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, next question. Where is your bravery rooted from? My dad, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer when we were children. Mm. And uh, his outlook was that we're just going to talk about when I'm better, not if. My bravery is completely from my parents when I was growing up. And now my bravery is completely from my sister who uh, was dealt a pretty terrible card with life-changing MS. Mm. Um, you will not meet someone with a better outlook and a better approach and... And, and genuine, honest acceptance. Oh. So my bravery comes from her. Love that. Next question. Which mean girl's character are you? Oh, gosh. Okay, you know the... <laughs> I'm I'm the big... I'm the big guy. The big guy? <laughs> she doesn't even go here. <laughs> I Amy? Never, yeah, because yeah. I just like everything like, give me my shirt back. <laughs> <laughs> that would be yeah. me. Um... Uh, although at points in my life, I was every single one of them. Oh, we all are, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Great answer. Yeah. Now it's probably more the Tina Fey because I'm 46 years old yeah. now. You know? You're a drug pusher. You push people. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Um, you were today years old when you found out what? Oh, that 40% chance rain doesn't mean that it's like a test, there's 40% and 60% guarantee it won't rain. 40% it means that it will cover 40% of the area you live in. What? Oh yeah, it's a thing. Read it. I tried you... to explain it to my mom. It doesn't mean that there's a four out of 10 chance it will rain. It doesn't. It means that the rain will likely hit 40% of the space. Um, I, what? Yeah, so there, if there's a 40% chance of rain for Regina, it, it's about how much of that area will get hit with rain. Like 40% chance of, or sorry, 40% of Regina will be hit. Yes. And and I don't quote me on that, but it's not that there's a four out of 10 chance. You're it's, blowing my mind right I know, now. And, and I, yeah, the other thing I learned when I'm today's years old is that I like am in love with TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all oh. have gone through this battle as oh, well, yeah. especially during the pandemic. So embarrassing. Wow. Did you learn that off of TikTok? Yes. Really? <laughs> yes. That's where you found out that your meteorology tip? First Twitter, then I looked it up on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
frightening that mm-hmm. we are going to TikTok to validate anything that but we did find. Did you not just hear media. the recent survey? Where did you get your COVID updates and information from? As seventy percent of it was social media. This is where people turn yes. to. Yeah, probably not TikTok. Hopefully but, you not know. TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just from meteorology. Oh, interesting. You just blew my mind. Okay, a couple more. What's your best tip about money? It should be mandatory um, that budgeting is part of every curriculum starting in in grade eight or grade nine that budgeting is a skill right. that needs to be developed it is not just a you do it or you don't it is something that people have to be educated about right the other side just because of the the area i work in is that that budgeting isn't always possible for people that that's one thing is that I want people to understand that you can't just tell someone who's struggling, like, hey, put together a budget and follow it. Yeah, great, great. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that if we um, made budget education um, something that was so standard early on, um, I think that it would benefit people down the road. I totally agree. Like, let's yeah. get that into the curriculum. I don't need to take woodworking. You know, I don't need to learn about the Pythagorean theorem or Sokotoa or anything like mm-hmm. that. Give me budgeting and yep. taxation. Like teach me that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last question. What connects us? I would say what probably connects us is acts of kindness and gestures with no strings attached. Mm. I always remember the kindness of others. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think that that's when I, I think about what connects me with you is I've You've been kind. You're funny, and then uh, oh, keep going. We've yeah, I know. <laughs> Handsome, talented, but the Can other I get this thing on my is, voicemail. The I'll write you a small reference letter. <laughs> but the other thing is, is that you and I have connected on on probably some of our more difficult times in life, and yet when I think of people that boost me up and bring a smile to my face, it's you. Oh, Alexis. Yeah. So that's like if you're someone who. Oh boy, I don't like going back to the owl days, but when someone says, I remember you from the owl or I recognize someone, I always go back to, if I remember you really well, it's either because we had to kick you out or (laughs) because you were just kind and nice and, and, and a good presence. I just remember that's what connects me. Right. And being able to bring communities of those people together. Yeah. Well, I apologize if I was somebody that you remember from getting kicked out of the no, owl. kind, <laughs> kind. Good. Yeah. Well, Alexis, thank you so much. I am so grateful for you to not just be someone I consider a friend, but somebody who brings so much education and inspiration to people. You are going to change lives by sharing this story, not just by opening up a an option that not a lot of people know about, but just through your words to take control of a situation that is is scary and quite daunting. And the way you tell stories is so inspiring and you're just such a great person. Thank you so much for taking time and, and loaning your expertise on this subject. I'm very grateful that the doulas gave you and your family peace during a really, really tough time. Thank you, Mason. And thanks for having me on. And thank you for giving this space. The doulas and I had talked and it was something that was very important to share. Oh, very happy to do so. Thank you. 
Well, that's it for our chat with Alexis and this emotional but incredibly insightful episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. If you like the podcast, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button and tell a friend about the podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, I'm off to hug my sister. Take care, everyone. Thank you.